God designed marriage, but marriage is not easy, and it becomes extremely difficult when serious sin enters the picture. Here's the question Stephen will answer today. For believers, is divorce an option, and if so, under what circumstances? Must women remain with an abusive husband? Must a husband remain with an unfaithful wife? Well, We need to look to the Bible for God's instruction concerning this challenging issue. That's what Stephen will do now. If you attend a traditional wedding today, you're probably going to hear some vows exchanged, promises to have and to hold from this day forward. Well, those are our solemn words. They actually go all the way back to God's ideal for marriage, which includes harmony and permanency and unity. Now, the trouble with marriage is that it happens to be the union of two sinners. And you may have thought marriage would be easy until you got married. And then you realized you were so different from your spouse, and you've been working at understanding them ever since. One man in my church who'd been married for over 50 years told me one Sunday morning after the service that he and his wife were very different. In fact, he said with a little smile, we're so different, the only thing we have in common is that we were married on the same day. (laughs) Well, let me tell you, God put into place this unwritten law that opposites attract. Marriage becomes then the greatest tool of spiritual development that you might ever have on earth. But what happens when a spouse decides to pursue a sinful, unrepentant lifestyle, or to give themselves over to a sinful addiction, or or perhaps become physically abusive. Is divorce biblically justified? We're in Luke's Gospel, chapter 16, and Jesus has just finished giving a parable about the godly use of money, and he's going to answer it, but in a moment here, we read first in verse 14, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. Well, Jesus knows their hearts. He knows they really don't care about God's word. And he says to them here in verse 17, It is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. A dot, even the littlest dot, is important. Now, Jesus is referring here to that little seraph. That's a little pen stroke that distinguishes Hebrew consonants in the Hebrew Bible. Now, the liberals love to say that the Bible contains the Word of God. Oh, no. The Bible is the Word of God, even that little seraph, that little dot. Now, Jesus brings up an illustration to prove these Pharisees are trying to get around the Word of God. Verse 18, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Now, Jesus gives a fuller account of this uh, recorded by Matthew over in chapter 19 and verse 9, where in a different context, Jesus says, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality 
and marries another, commits adultery. So here he adds uh, what we call an exception clause to a permanent union. And, and this is the exception of sexual immorality that effectively breaks that union. Now, in the Lord's Day, there were two schools of rabbinical thought with regard to divorce. And, and they both go back and quote Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 1 that says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, he may write her a certificate of divorce. Well, the conservative school defined indecency as adultery. The more liberal school, represented by the Pharisees, focused on that little phrase, she finds no favor in his eyes. The rabbis defined this lack of favor to include burning his dinner, speaking to another man on the street, or even, even talking too loudly. However, a woman in these days could divorce her husband only if he became an apostate, a criminal, or a leper. <laughs> so obviously, divorce was nearly impossible for a woman, even if her husband was immoral and cruel. Now, what Jesus does here is clarify the law. Divorce can take place if either spouse commits sexual immorality. The Greek word here for sexual immorality is porneia. Some versions might translate it fornication. It's a broad term for sexual immorality. Now, don't misunderstand. Jesus doesn't say here you must get a divorce because of sexual immorality. Divorce isn't required, but it is permitted. Sexual immorality isn't automatic grounds for divorce, but it certainly is automatic grounds for genuine repentance. For those who are married to someone who refuses to genuinely repent, the Lord opens this door. This is the exception clause, so the innocent spouse can be free to divorce and remarry. Now, you might be wondering if immorality is the only grounds for a biblically justifiable divorce and remarriage. Well, the Apostle Paul speaks to this over in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord, the wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Now, Paul is talking here about a Christian couple that have no biblical grounds for divorce. Should one of the spouses leave, well, that one is not free to marry someone else. In fact, Paul says the one who leaves should either remain unmarried or reconcile with his or her spouse. Now Paul adds these words here in verse 12. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord. Well, let me pause here for just a moment. This doesn't mean Paul is now going to give us his own opinion. What he means is the Lord did not deliver this instruction during his ministry. So Paul isn't quoting Jesus here. In fact, Paul is now being led by the Holy Spirit to give further direction to the believer. Now, verse 12 again. If any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. Now, the word consent here is critical. 
It's a word that means pleasing agreement, a mutual desire to be together. You see, consent is a two-way street. So if there is a clear desire, even from an unbelieving spouse, to pursue the wedding vows, Paul says to the believer, don't divorce your spouse. But if that's not the case, if there are decisions, addictions, actions that clearly communicate a spouse really doesn't consent to live responsibly as a husband or wife, Paul presents that here as an act of abandonment. He says here in verse 15, but if the unbelieving partner separates, and and I might add here, the partner who is acting like an unbeliever, Paul says, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved or bound. In other words, don't fight about it. Don't argue about it. Allow it. In fact, there's nothing in the Bible that forbids the innocent spouse from initiating it. Paul writes here, God has called you to peace. And that's your goal now, to leave the battle behind with that sinful, unrepentant spouse whose decisions are acting out abandonment, that is, a lack of consent to dwell with you. Paul says here in verse 15 again, In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. This is the only time in the New Testament, by the way, that this phrase, in such cases, is found. It means, in cases like these, which involve abandonment. It's an umbrella phrase for any kind of case that reveals the spouse is not genuinely repenting, not genuinely demonstrating consent to live respectfully and agreeably with his or her spouse. I believe those other cases that effectively communicate abandonment of the wedding vows would include unrepentant immorality, unrepentant pornography, gambling, and and other addictions like drugs and alcohol that accompany a lifestyle of deception from a spouse. These lifestyles will include stealing from the household income. It might involve verbal threats of physical harm and, and most certainly any kind of physical abuse. There's a popular view out there in the Christian community that's disturbing to me. It says that a wife should endure physical abuse like a missionary endures persecution. Absolutely not. Let me tell you, leaving an unrepentant, cheating, stealing, drunken, deceitful, immoral, abusive spouse, and I think I covered all the categories, is actually a better way to witness to our world what God considers a marriage to be than supporting and subsidizing a spouse who dishonors the sanctity of marriage. In cases like these, there's biblical grounds for divorce and remarriage so that the believer can show to the world what a true, biblical, God-honoring marriage is all about. But with that, we're out of time for today. Until next time, beloved, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.
That was Stephen Davey and a lesson he called A Case for Divorce and Remarriage. Perhaps this lesson challenged your thinking, or perhaps it encouraged you and gave you hope. We'd like to hear from you. Write to us at info at wisdomonline.org. If you want to explore this topic in more detail, Stephen has a full-length sermon from this passage, and we'll put a link in the show notes. Join us next time on this wisdom journey.